Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Welcome to Collective Church. If we've never met before, my name is Tyler. Glad that you're here with us. Today, we continue our series on Sabbath. Last week, Nadia Zaversenik spoke, and, and that was a huge gift. And if, if you didn't get a chance to be in the room or listen afterwards, you can, you can find it on our YouTube channel. There is a, a pastor in New York City named Tim Keller. He's written a ton of amazing books. He started this church, or he, he grew this church in Manhattan and, and then multiplied it, did some significant, thing, significant things, but does a ton of thinking around what does it mean to reach the West again? What does it look like for the church to, to thrive in a post-Christian scenario? And he says this. There's a quote that he wrote where he said, because the world is full of ugly things, we need Sabbath to fill our soul with beauty. Because the world is full of ugly things, we need Sabbath to fill our soul with beauty. We have access, more access than ever before, and so we see everything. We see everything that's going on. I don't know if you pay attention if you use YouTube or use their app, but I notice it, the scrolling thing, and it's like it, it went through all the list of things, the shooting and, and the, the resignation of, of the Toronto mayor because of infidelity and all the things that are happening around us that are, let's be honest, they show ugliness. There's stuff that we sit with and we go, man, things just seem to be so difficult and challenging. We hear stories constantly of injustice, stories of poverty, stories of war, stories of conflict, and so much more. And we can recognize that the world has a lot of ugliness in it. And, and if, we, if we aren't thinking clearly, we can really focus on all the ugliness. We can see all the things that are harmful and out of alignment and disordered and see that as the only part of the story. But the reality is, though the world has ugliness, the world is also full of goodness if we'll look for it. There are incredible things that are happening in our midst if we'll pay attention to them. In the the biblical narrative of creation in Genesis, we read that God actually saw that what he had made, all that he had made, and it was very good. So God saw what he had created, and he declared it. It is very good. And that word there for good is the Hebrew word tov. And it doesn't just mean that it was good. The word tov also means that it was beautiful, that he saw what he had created, and it was beautiful. And the problem for us is that so often the goodness and beauty of what is happening that God has done and God has created is eclipsed by all the other stuff. The New Testament writer Paul actually describes it as the kingdom of darkness. 
And so we see beauty, but it's quickly eclipsed by darkness, and we just think, you know what, that just must be what it is. We're living in 2023. Things are just bad, and we miss out on some of the beauty that happens around us. And the problem is that we're force-fed all sorts of content through social media and news, all the conflict. And, and I want you to pay attention and recognize that we are the product and the goal is to keep our attention, and what we know to be true is that what keeps people's attention is outrage, controversy, fear, and so we're force-fed this constant, steady diet of all the things that create conflict and fear and outrage in us, and we spend so much time focusing on all the things that are wrong in the world that we miss out on the glimpses and moments where God actually is at work and showing us his beauty. And it's why Jesus' words in John 16 are so significant for us. In John 16, he says to his disciples and to us, in this world, you will have trouble. And I've spoken on that before, and I think it's really just really important on a very surface level, not that you might have trouble. You will guaranteed it is, it is, you're going to experience trouble. Jesus is reminding us of that. And trouble, and with it sorrow, is inevitable. For each of us, we will experience things in our life that lead us to experience deep sorrow. No matter what our, our disposition is or outlook, like for some of us in the room, we're, we're more optimistic and we're like, I see the glasses half full, and things are good, but there will be moments that that resolve will be tested. You'll see things going on around you, and it'll test it, or maybe you'll experience something in your own life that you'll wrestle with this. But I want to remind you today that trouble and sorrow isn't the only part of the human story. It is a part, but it's not the only part of the human story. It's not the only part of the story for those of us who follow the way of Jesus. In fact, in, in another verse in John, Jesus says this, John 15, verse 11, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now there's a tension here. You're like, wait, so in the world we'll have trouble, but we'll feel joy about it. You're like, I don't know, how do I, how do I wrestle with that idea? But can you imagine, just, just imagine for a moment if that actually was us, overflowing with joy, as Jesus is saying to us. You know what it's like when you have those moments that you're overflowing with joy, and it just spills out? You can't even hold it in, like you're trying not to smile, but you just, you have so much joy in you. I was, uh, I was playing Minecraft with Ava, who's seven, and she's learning this game and learning all the things you can do. And the one thing that she could do is create a character that was like on fire. And so she made like a thousand of them. And then the whole time was giggling maniacally and then belly laughing. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's just giggling and laughing and overflowing with joy. My favorite is when you're around kids and they do that. Like as adults, we kind of just... I shouldn't feel, so I'll just, I'll just push it down. I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's fine. I move, I move past it. Kids feel that. They overflow with that joy. 
And I want you to know that that level of joy is actually part of God's will for your life. That Jesus actually is saying in his words that he wants us to experience that kind of joy. And so the problem is that while sorrow is not inevitable, or it is inevitable, we will feel sorrow, joy isn't. So it's guaranteed that we'll feel sorrow, but what isn't always guaranteed is that we will experience joy. Sorrow will come to our life. Trouble will come to our life, whether we invite it or not, whether we give it permission or not. But joy, on the other hand, is something different. We have to choose joy over and over and over again. In Scripture, the the word for joy that is used is both a noun and a verb. So it's a thing and also an action. It's important for us to understand that. That, that the word that's actually used for, that, that's used for rejoice is actually to joy. There's this active pursuit of being someone that chooses joy. And if we start to read about joy through a biblical theology, we learn some really interesting and helpful things around joy. There are three things that I want to highlight. One, that joy is a feeling. Two, that joy is a condition. And three, that joy is a discipline. Now, Some of us get it. Okay, joy is a feeling, and we can go, yeah, okay, I understand that. And and many of us have heard in the church especially that there's a disconnect between joy and happiness, that that happiness is what you feel when things are as they should be, but joy is what you feel regardless of what's happening. The problem with that, and I've said stuff, something similar, the problem with that is if you actually look through the Bible, joy and happiness are, are used interchangeably. And so there isn't a distinction between the two. Joy and happiness. And I know that there's this part of us that struggles with it because we don't want to be those Christians that are like, uh, I'm, I'm healthy, wealthy, and blessed. You know, and you're like, ah, I struggle with that. And so we're like, I should just feel miserable. Miserable. I'm rejoicing in God with a straight, stern face. Instead, joy is a feeling. There is joy in our situation that does go beyond our circumstances. There are moments that we choose joy, we feel joy even when our life seems to be falling apart. And then there are other moments that we feel joy because life is as it should be. You're going, this is life as it should be. I had moments on Saturday, yesterday, when I was with, we went to the Butterfly Conservatory and there were moments that I was spending time with the kids looking at these, all these different insects, and I was just thinking, like, this is good. Just being with them, watching them engage and explore, like, this is good. Joy in situations where it, it makes sense. And then also joy when things seem to be more difficult. Joy can be a feeling, but it's also a condition. It's not just about feeling joy and forcing ourselves to, to feel joy, but As we follow the way of Jesus, we actually become a person of joy. If we are reflecting Jesus, who is our Savior and Lord, over time, it isn't just a feeling that we have or we fake or we put on, but it becomes part of who we are. God is joyful. And so if we are being patterned and formed to become more like his son, we should become more of a person of joy. 
In Galatians 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard of it. It's the evidence in our life of us actually following Jesus. It's the stuff in us that looks different. And the first of the the fruit of the Spirit is love. And we go, yeah, totally. We should be a person of love. You know what the second is? Joy. And so it becomes an overflow of our interior life. Joy is actually what we might even call a virtue, which means it needs to be developed. It's not something that always just comes perfectly natural to us. So joy is a feeling, joy is a condition, and joy is also a discipline. And this is one that I think we just don't think or talk nearly enough. Truth is, there are moments when it is easy to choose joy. I have three weddings that I have the privilege of officiating in the summer, and you better believe that when each of those couples got engaged and thought about their wedding day, that there was joy. And hopefully, on that wedding day, as they look face-to-face with the person they're covenanting to for the rest of their life, there is hopefully a bit of joy. Hopefully, it's not like, what have I done? This was a mistake. (laughs) Hopefully, not the ones I'm doing, at least. You want to do that in your own... But there's this joy, right? That's natural. When your children are born and they're healthy and happy and content and you're like, man, I feel so much joy. When you get the job you've been working your butt off for, when you get the promotion or the raise or or, or you, you find something that you've been looking for and you get it, the house that you've been trying to get. There are moments where it is easy to experience joy. I think we had a moment of that when it was 15 degrees and it seemed like maybe spring is coming. You know, and you just go, okay, there's joy because summer is on its way. Not yet. There are moments when it is easy to experience joy, but then there are moments where joy is a sheer force of discipline, where we submit our will to say, God, I don't feel joyful, and yet I'm willing to choose joy in this circumstance. That for some of us, it can become, it's not this fake thing, but it becomes this sheer act of obedience. God, I'm willing to, I'm willing to surrender to you and choose joy, even though I do not understand. Joy can be a discipline where we realign our heart. We realign, realign our heart to the good, to the beautiful, to the true. Richard Foster calls this the discipline of celebration. And for some of us, we go, a discipline of celebration. And then there's a degree that I think, especially in North America, we're not great at celebrating because when we achieve something, we're like, what's the next thing? And you're like, let's just enjoy this. Yeah, yeah, what else are we gonna do? I mean, we see this in our, in our lives, right? You go, what, you go, you're in high school, and you're like, well, when I finally, when I finally get to school, then yes. And then you get to school, and you're like, when I get my job, then When I get married, then, when I have kids, then, and we're always living in this place, and we struggle with this actually celebrating, a discipline of celebration. And so Richard Foster says this, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It is not something that falls on our heads. It is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. And so Sabbath is a discipline of celebration. It's a discipline of celebration. 
It's also one of the most important ways that we can become this person of joy. Again, I don't ever want us to feel like we just have to fake it till we make it. That is not what I am saying. But I am saying that we need to pattern our lives and discipline our lives in a way of going, what does it look like? And is it possible that the way I'm living is not producing joy? And there's something that I can do about that. And so for us, Sabbath is an opportunity for us to pattern our lives toward joy, to become more like our Heavenly Father who is overflowing with joy. In this series, uh, we've gone through four move, or we're going through four movements. We've gone through two, stop and rest. And the other two are delight and worship. And if you think about it, stop and rest, delight and worship. Stop and rest are what you don't do. Stop, rest. Delight and worship are what you do. They're what you actually do. And so we look at both. What do I stop? What do I need to stop? And then what do I need to start? And as we look at delight, this idea of delighting, I want us to look back at Genesis. In Genesis 1, verse 31, it says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God has finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. I mentioned in week one that the the word for Sabbath, that the word that we use for rest is the word Shabbat. And it means stopping, and it means resting. But it also carries, and this is the beauty of Hebrew, is that it carries layers of meaning, and one of them is not just that God stopped, not just that he rested, but actually that he delighted in all his work, that he looked around and he felt delight. God didn't rest because he was worn out or burned out. It wasn't like one of those, like, I need a break. Instead, it's more like, you know when you accomplish something, and afterwards you go, Like maybe it's around your house and you clean your basement for the first time or your garage or you vacuum or whatever and you look at your house and you're like, this is what it should be. And then you go out on the porch and it's sunny and you're like, I just feel like, I feel like I accomplished something significant today. You know those moments? Those moments in your life that afterwards you're like, "I I just feel like I can delight in what happened. Some of that is the feeling of completion, and this is, for us, the feeling that we should experience through Sabbath, that it isn't like we work for six days, hit the seventh day, and go, oh, this again, but instead that we look back and go, ah, that we feel this measure of completion, that we experience a measure of joy. Sabbath should be a happy day. And the Sabbath is an entire 24-hour period where we set aside time to stop, to rest, and to delight and worship. We are invited to delight in God's world through Sabbath, to let our, our hearts and our minds focus on all that is good, to focus on all that is good and beautiful and true around us. When Lee and I, I, I never used to be someone that loved going for walks and uh, when we got married, Lee always would go for walks and it would fill up her tank. And, and, and when we moved to this area, I remember going for walks and finding it shifting my perspective. I had times when I'd be walking and I'd be praying and I'd be going, God, I, I, I just want to see you at work 
And no joke, I'd be walking and there'd just be three deer that would just stop right in front of me and look at me. And I'd go, okay. <laughs> like, this is pretty beautiful. And that same walk, I'm walking further and a coyote is just bounding along. And then I think that the soon after that, there was a fox that ran. And it was this beauty of God's creation. And it was really interesting. My phone wasn't vibrating. It wasn't disrupting me. And yet, what could I do? I could delight in God's world. I could see the beauty of what was around me. I could see these deer and think, wow, isn't it amazing? I had one time that I was, I was driving and I, I was, we were living in Calgary and I was driving in my truck. And if you've seen it, it just, it has some character. And, uh, and I was driving and I was just turning random spots and I was, I was just feeling it. I was feeling all the pressure of all sorts of things and I was saying, God, I just wanna, I just wanna, I wanna just know that you're close. And I turned on this random street. I'm in the foothills of the, the random road, not a street. I'm in the foothills of the mountain and I turned I turn to my right and it was like God was going, watch. And I saw an elk and I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. And then no joke, I saw 300 elk. They just kept leaping over. It was this fence. It was like six feet, seven feet tall, and they leapt over it like it was nothing. And I just kept seeing them coming. And you know when you're, in, you're experiencing that by yourself? You're like, I wish someone was here. I go, are you serious seeing this? And it was like my own private moment where God can go, I just sometimes want to delight you. And I think for us so often, we don't create space for that. God's going, I want to get your attention, and I want to show you some things. And you go, you know what? I've got a lot going on right now. And I've noticed that there have been times that when I actually force myself to, to create space for that, that it, it's so beautiful and what it should be. And what do I do? I tend to focus more on what is good and beautiful and true. And so in Sabbath, the 24-hour period, we delight in God's world and we also delight in his word, that we specifically fix our attention on his word. Because the problem is it's so easy for us to lose sight of all the things that he is up to and saying because we focus on all the negative. There are, there are neuroscientific, there's neuroscientific research that says we are more, 14 times more focused on negative than we are positive. 14 times more. Which makes complete sense. Because I could hear 14 positive things and I hear one negative thing and what do I focus on? The negative thing. And I'm like, why did I do that? That was so stupid. And so all the things in our life, we are 14 times more likely to focus on the things that are negative than positive. Now again, put it through the filter. Recognize then how social media or how, how the news, whatever, is designed. It's designed to get our attention on those things. And this isn't me just saying live like a hermit and pretend like nothing exists, but I do think we need to pay really careful attention to our inputs recognizing what that does to our output. So if I'm constantly focused on all the things that are negative and my brain is actually wired to do that, what does it look like for me to disrupt that pattern? And on our Sabbath, we actually fight for this. We fight to remember. There's the command of remembering the Sabbath and we fight to remember what why this matters and what Sabbath actually is. We remember because we pay attention to how blessed we actually are, and not in phony, trite ways, but in little, small, or significant ways we look and go, wow, my life is different than I expected and better 
And there are parts of difficulty, yes, and then there's parts of immense beauty. And we don't just go, you know what, it doesn't matter. Let's focus on the negative. We, we call to memory the things that are amazing. We delight in God's world. We delight in God's word. And finally, we delight in God himself. I think for so many of us, especially if we grew up in the church, we know how to do certain things. Maybe we have a, a concept of reading our Bible or a concept of praying or we kind of understand some of the pieces. But how many of us are really gifted in the area of enjoying God? Like not for a purpose, not just to go, to go uh, God, give me something right now. I have a prayer request. I'll spend some time with you if you'll do what I ask you to do. None of that. Just enjoying being with God, delighting in God's presence for nothing else than God himself. Because the challenge for us is we go, God, uh, I really want something from you. So I'll read my Bible, pray a little bit, and hopefully you'll answer my prayers. And God instead goes, what would it look like to recognize that I'm actually the prize here? And so for us to enjoy God. For some of us, it's easy to fear, it's easy to obey, but delight in him, find joy in him, that can be more difficult. But the thing is, the more that I follow Jesus, the longer that I follow Jesus, which has been most of my life, the more that I understand that as I spend time with God, he actually radiates joy. And he actually takes all the stuff that, that I, I feel like I'm weighed down on and handles it and goes, I'm with you, you're not on your own. And the more beautiful he looks to me, the more I'm drawn to him. And the thing that happens is the more that I spend time with God, the more I find the very thing my heart has been aching for. And I go, you know what, but I'm really, really, really busy. I've got a lot going on. God goes, come to me. This is why Sabbath is so important for us. Dan Allender says this in his book on the Sabbath. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it, to make it holy, because a full day of delight and joy is much more than people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. And then there's another theologian, Marva Don, who says this in her book about Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath gives us the opportunity to be as careful as we can to fill our lives with beauty and to share beauty with the world around us. When we observe a day, especially set apart for beauty, all the rest of life is made more beautiful. In a larger sense, the whole practice of Sabbath keeping makes me feel more beautiful. As I spend the day reflecting on the character of God, I am overwhelmed by his love for me. As I feast upon his goodness and all its beautiful forms, I realize more profoundly that I am a special part of his creation and designed especially for his purposes in a uniquely beautiful way. Are you beginning to see how beautiful Sabbath can be? I think for so many of us, we've seen it as this religious thing we do where it's just we have to stop and we can't do anything and we just have to create this, this religious moral duty, but instead it is so much better than that. 
that there's so much that we can experience as we stop and rest and actually delight. This way of living can be life-giving to us. And when I look at how we have access to everything, we have more than ever before choices and freedom, and yet we are more unhappy than ever before. I wonder, could this be because we are not living the way that God actually designed us to live? This kind of Sabbath. Can you imagine if you live like this, a life that is filled with joy, that is both countercultural and also stands in opposition to the very way our brains are wired to focus on the negative things? And so you might even hear some of that and go, that all sounds great. How do I do that? How do I create time to actually delight? How do I create space? We, we've been saying that it's, the Sabbath is a 24-hour period that we set aside. How do we actually structure that? I want to call you back to the first week and remind you that, that hurry is the great enemy of our soul, and hurry and joy are incompatible. We can't live our lives with hurry and also experience joy. Delight actually demands that we slow down, that we actually savor the goodness of every single moment that we have. And I'll just admit to you that for some of us, this is easier than others. In our dynamic, for Lee and I, it is easier for Lee to be in the present and just, and just Lee will sit... <laughs> Lee will sit on the bed in the sun like an iguana and just go, ha. Ah. And I'm like, let's go turn on the air conditioning. Let's move around. I got things to do. And so for some of us, it's harder to actually stop and be present and slow down. And yet this is the invitation for us. And honestly, I'm on this journey just like you are, where I'm relearning how to actually live my life at Jesus' pace, not mine. And there are times that I go, I gotta go faster and farther and more and more and more. And I have had so many times where Jesus is saying, stop, slow down, walk with me. And this is the process for us of what it means to actually embrace this practice of Sabbath. And so we have to slow down. And the second thing is we have to put boundaries around our day. To experience Sabbath and all of its goodness, there have to be things that we say no to and things that we say yes to. We have to actually pay attention carefully to curating our lives and ensuring that we are saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And for so many of us, we don't actually know how to delight in anything because we live our lives without limits. We don't know how to savor great food because we overeat all week. And you get something that's great, and you go, yeah, what else you got? We don't know how to savor time together with great people because we're running at this pace where we don't even enjoy it really. We go, I got this, and then I got to move here, and I got to do, I got, to, I got things to, to do. We don't know how to savor a great film because we're just binging constantly. More, 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 more. Entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. What does it look like for us to stop and actually be present and to enjoy great art? We don't know how to enjoy photography because what is it? Infinite scrolling. What else you got? Wow, that's an unbelievable mountain range. Anything else? Oh, I wonder how they got there. You just keep scrolling through because we don't have limits in our lives. 
We can't actually find space to delight in the things that we were meant to delight in. A big part of Sabbath is learning how to slow down our lives to actually live differently through the week. In order to to turn the Sabbath into a celebration, it's not just life as it is and then one more day, but we're calling it Sabbath. Instead, we live differently through the week. So when we hit Sabbath, we celebrate. We go, wow, this is the day. This is the day that I can delight in God. And a good place for us to do that as we think about creating boundaries in our life is to create two lists. And so this would be one thing that I'd be saying, do this. And don't say like, well, maybe next week I'll do it. Like, do it, do it this afternoon. Do it before Monday. Make two lists, the I will list and the I won't list. Thinking about Sabbath, thinking about the 24-hour period that you're going to stop, rest, and delight. What are the things that I will do and what are the things that I will not do? Could be I will sleep. I was having the conversation with Reese about his week being busy and I'm like, what does Sabbath look like? And he's like, I sleep. I go, great. Maybe having a nap, maybe that can be a really spiritual thing because you're depleted. You go, napping is acceptable. There are actually stories in the Bible where God says, hey, go eat something and go nap. We can talk about that another time. And so you can actually do that. Maybe it's pray. Maybe it's to be together with friends and family. Maybe it's to be away from friends and family. I don't know your situation. (laughs) Maybe it's to feast, eat great food, celebrate. Maybe it is like one of the the rhythms in our family is to find adventure and fun. We have little kids, seven and five, almost five. And so one of the pieces is doing something different with them where we can be present and enjoy them enjoying it and also discover some things together. Maybe that's your I will list. And you need to spend some time and actually consider what are the things that I will do. And then there's the I won't. Maybe for some of us it's I won't go shopping. I'm not going to consume more stuff. I'm not going to do work around the house. I'm not going to read the news. I'm going to put my phone away. I'm not going to just watch more TV. Whatever it is, what are the things that you're not going to do that are different? Because if we don't actually think about those things, what we find ourselves doing, and I can, I can relate, we're people of habit. And suddenly this day just becomes an extension of all the other days. But that is not what Sabbath is meant to be. And as you think of the list of the things that you will do and that you will not do, that you won't do, I want you to think about what feeds your soul and I want you to think about what drains you. I want you to pay careful attention to the things that help you to delight more and more in Jesus and the things that cause you to become more and more bitter, frustrated, and irritable. And ensure that you are making time for the things that fill you up. And ensure that you are taking away the things that don't. It's helpful for us as we're trying to figure out even these lists to to think through these rhythms or movements that I've talked about. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. For us to go, does it help me stop? Does it help me rest? Does it help me delight in God, his word, his world? Does it help me to worship him? We have to put boundaries around our day and boundaries around our week. And then the final thing is that we have to actually give ourselves to joy. 
For those of us who are new to Sabbath, where this is a new thing, or like I grew up where, I, I've shared it before, where Sabbath for us was um, no one except for grandma did anything on Sunday. Grandma got to cook all the meals and we weren't allowed to do anything. And so you're like, I, and we couldn't live in, a, live in a small town, so nothing was open. So you're like, not allowed to do anything. But grandma, grandma was allowed to do everything. And I'm like, that's not it. It's, it's, it's about something so much better. That's why it's, yes, stopping, yes, resting, yes, delighting. Like, even for me, I go, I, I'm excited to make food when we get to Sabbath. I'm excited to think about the things that I can make. And maybe for you, that's your reality. And if you're new to Sabbath and all of this is, you're just not really sure, where do I start? And you have this, I will, and this, I won't list that you're beginning to even in your head formulate. I want you to think really specifically about what could I do in a 24-hour period that would bring me deep, visceral joy in God? Like to go, what would be the things, if I did it all in one day, oh man, feel like I would just experience God in a different way. And I want you to actually think about doing that on a regular basis, weekly, setting aside time to do that. Psychologists actually have a label for this. They call it pleasure stacking. When you take all the things that are amazing that you love to do and you put it on one spot and you're going, I'm gonna do all of it. It's why we live for things like, or we, we love things like vacations or birthdays because it's like one day, it's all about me. Or vacations where I can get away and do all these things that I want to do. For us to actually think, and for some of us, you go pleasure stacking. I don't, I think I'm supposed to just feel neutral and miserable about following Jesus. And you go, no, what would it look like for you to actually see Sabbath as an opportunity for pleasure stacking, for doing all the things that are beautiful and good and true and putting them on one day? And, and maybe it's like really, really practical things where you go, on Sabbath, I'm gonna eat really well. I'm gonna enjoy amazing desserts. I'm not going to eat like garbage all through the week. On Sabbath, I'm going to delight in the beauty of food. Down the street from us, there's two restaurants across from each other. There's McDonald's and then there's Kraft Pharmacy. Both have burgers. Both have a very different experience of burgers. I could eat burgers all week at McDonald's, but when I go to Kraft Pharmacy, they grind that burger fresh. They, they cook it to medium rare, and mm, that burger is delightful. What would it look like for us to actually create space where we enjoy something that, that causes us to go, wow, I'm so grateful. If you don't like meat, maybe it's, I don't know, some vegetable. You're like, this is the best vegetable. We love you anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I was going to say, and we can delight and go, thank you for making this cow. And some of you are like, they have a face and a family, and they taste amazing. <laughs> Maybe on the Sabbath is a day if you're if you're someone that loves reading, you read a great book. You go to a museum or an art gallery and you appreciate great art. You go out on the porch and like Lee, like a lizard, you sit in the sun. And you just go, "Wow." And you enjoy something. You go for that long walk. And if you have kids, maybe a long walk without your children. That you delight in them, but also they have some quiet time. That you find the things that actually bring you delight and you do those all on the same day. There are some amazing traditions 
and Sabbath activities that, that throughout history, the church, the, the Jewish community, and then the Christian church has done, one of them being feasting. Like to actually spend time feasting on your Sabbath. Or maybe it's community that we celebrate with the people that we love. Or maybe it's the practice of gratitude where we focus on what we have, not focus on what we don't have. Maybe it's play where we do things that are fun and adventurous. If you're married, maybe it's an opportunity for your husband and wife to actually get a little bit of time alone. I'll let you fill in the gaps on what that looks like. Where you actually spend time together and grow in your intimacy. In fact, in the Jewish Talmud, there's actually a command that says to married couples every Friday. I just wonder, <laughs> I just wonder, would we have stronger marriages if that was actually prioritized? I think so. Like to go, that, that, that's a joyful thing that God has created for marriage. That's a beautiful thing. Enjoy it. For us to create rhythms where we also spend time in nature, there's so much more. There are all sorts of things that we can do. And my, my heart is to maybe just cause you to begin to imagine. Imagine if I did this all in a 24-hour period. Imagine what my life would look like. Imagine how I would navigate the rest of my week if I did all the things I love doing on one day for the glory of God. One of the best ways that we can do that is through a Sabbath meal. And in our stage of life, we often will go out. That's our Sabbath meal because it's really nice to just be with our kids and not have to make food and listen to them complain about what it is. But for some of us, we're in different stages, and you go, man, we could do a big meal together at our house, and that is beautiful. In the Jewish tradition, they would often do it on a Friday night, and for many Christians, Sunday afternoon, which has been lost a little bit. We're like, I need time by myself. But for us to actually have people over and to feast together. And so John Mark Homer, who is a pastor and, and someone that shapes a lot of the spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines, he does this at a Sabbath meal, and I wanted to read it because I thought it was really significant. And I just, even just as I'm reading, I don't want you to think, imagine if we actually did this. He said, we start with a Sabbath box where we put our phones, our devices, our wallets away. We all write our anxiety, sorrows, and unfinished tasks on little pieces of paper and then prayerfully put them away in the box. Then we sit down at the table, light the candles, pour the wine. I bless my children. We bless one another. We read a psalm and invite the spirit of Jesus to come and give us rest. And then we feast. And as we eat, we go around the table and share a highlight of the week. And there is inevitably dance music that comes on at some point, compliments of one of his teenagers, or a guitar that comes out, and then they're singing. It's a weekly celebration of goodness and beauty. I hear that, and I think, that sounds so beautiful to me. That sounds so life-giving to me. And I think about it certainly through the lens of kids. I go, imagine parents that are showing their kids that this is a better way to live. And I think it is. To actually go, I'm going to put my device away. And then I'm going to write down the things that are difficult or unfinished that I'm sitting with so I can get it out of my head so I can be present in this moment. And I listened to this list or I read this list and I realized how countercultural it is. And how easy it is for us to go, I don't have time to do all of that. And yet, I wonder 
Is this exactly what we need to start to wrestle with doing and integrating in our life? There are moments that even this sounds beautiful and you go, yeah, I want to do that. I want to spend time with my family or my friends or I want to do that. There are times when, like I mentioned, that joy is easy. But what about the seasons when life is difficult, when laughter is hard to come by? Because it can be so easy for us to just go, just, 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 just force yourself and you'll be fine and fake it till you make it. But what about those seasons where you're dealing with something so difficult and you go, I just, I can't just, I can't just try to do this and think everything is going to be completely fine. What do I do? Sometimes what happens on the Sabbath as we seek to stop and rest, as we, as we actually delight is what happens is that all the things that we've been running from that week catch up to us. All the feelings we've been trying to medicate, if I just eat a little bit more, drink a little bit more, distract myself a little bit more, then I don't have to feel all the things that I'm feeling. And sometimes what happens is, and this is why, we, this is why so many of us avoid stopping or people when they go on vacation, the first few days can be really difficult because finally you actually have to, you have to come to terms with all the stuff you've been trying to pretend isn't there. And you're like, oh man, I feel all of this. I feel like a failure. I feel like that was disappointing. Or I feel like, I feel... Why is this happening? And you ha maybe you're dealing with a loss or grief and you you're just feel every bit of that when you actually stop. And so it's easier to just keep going and not feel any of that. But Sabbath is an opportunity to stop and actually deal with the things that we've been trying to avoid. John Mark Comer talks about this as Sabbath sadness. And, and just as a permission thing, I just want to let you know if that's you and you feel that, 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 that it's not abnormal. You're not some strange weirdo. It's not like you're not good enough Christian and you should just try a little bit harder. Instead, that is something that can be very normal for many people. And the encouragement that I would have is to feel that. Feel the sadness, feel the disappointment, feel all that, and then let it wash over you like a wave. Let it acknowledge what you're feeling and then, and then let it actually wash over you. Come again to God and go, God, I need you to take this but I, I trust that you're in the midst of all of this. Feel what you feel, and then again, stop, rest, delight. Jesus' desire for us is not to bypass our pain or pretend like it doesn't exist, and it's also not to get us stuck in that pain. He's not just saying, you know what, I want you to be defined by all the things that have gone wrong, and that's who you are. Instead, he invites us to go through difficulty, through what even might feel like death, to come to the other side where there is life. This is the death and resurrection pattern laid out by Jesus himself. And delight, we stop, we rest and delight. Delight is not a denial of pain. It is a determination to move through our pain courageously, honestly, and patiently to cultivate a life of joy. And this is why the Sabbath comes every seven days. It regularly reminds us of the goodness of our life with God, even in seasons that don't feel very good. And it reminds us as we come to the end of our week, whether it was good or lousy, whether we did everything on our to-do list or we didn't, that at the end of the week, Sabbath is coming. It reminds us that it's okay that we're not okay in seasons where our prayers are unanswered, God seems distant. And Sabbath comes every single week with a sense of peace that we can trust God regardless of our circumstances, that God does not change, that God can be trusted, 
And we don't, we don't Sabbath because of our circumstances. We Sabbath regardless of what we're going through. And this Sabbath teaches us to delight and, and with this, be happy in all seasons of our life. Or as Paul said, to rejoice in the Lord always. This habit, this discipline, the celebration, or this discipline of celebration. And this is the invitation of Jesus to come to him, find rest for our souls, to follow his six and one rhythm, to work and then to rest. There is a time to work, a time to sweat, a time to fast, a time to lament, and there is a time to stop, rest, feast, and delight. For us to to think about our I will list and our I won't list, to cultivate a 24-hour period where we stack all the things that help us to delight in God and to do it, if you're in a family, to do it as a family. To this end, as, as I, I want to challenge you to actually integrate that into your life. If you're in a co-group, continue to take steps towards trying and applying and practicing and failing and, and adjusting your life so that you actually create space for Sabbath and do it with community as you're looking for accountability. If you're not in a co-group, and that is our smaller gatherings that make a larger gathering where you actually can be known and grow together. If you're not in a co-group, I want to encourage you to to join a co-group. If you're in the room, and even when I'm talking about difficulty and pain, and this is a season where it's really hard for you to find joy, I want to encourage you to come up to the prayer team who's going to be standing over there and, and let them know what's going on so that we can pray for you. I want to read Isaiah 58, verse 13 to 14 over us, over you. Would you stand up and just close your eyes and and pay attention to these words? This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. says this, Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath. And speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. And don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Let's pray. God, help us to courageously stop, rest, and delight in you. God, I pray that you would help us to see where you are at work that we, would, that we would cultivate joy even when it is difficult. God, help us just to see with your eyes. Help us not to be content with simply hearing about the kind of life that we could live and instead come to you and do something different. God, we see you at work around us. And we also see all the challenges You don't ask us to pretend like things are rosy and wonderful, but you do invite us to focus our attention to all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful. God, help us not to just set aside 24 hours where we just don't do anything, but instead, 24 hours we delight in you, where we fill our soul as you've made us. God, help us. You know each of us. You've designed each of us differently. There are certain things that you've put in us that is beautiful. God, help us to see where your your wiring that you've given us aligns with also how we can delight in you. God, as we worship, pray that you'd speak to us. Give us courage, how we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.